Wake up, wake up, everyone. This is Janet Kelly, Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope. I'm very excited um, to have a discussion today about Sanctuary of Hope's Southern Africa trip in which we um, took a Sanctuary Hope delegation of young up-and-coming emerging leaders on a leadership development trip around uh, racial equity and understanding the intersectionality between South Los Angeles and South LA. And so we have with us for our guest to talk about the South African trip, Tanisha Saunders, who is um, a community activist. Uh, I would say one of our strong and emerging and growing leaders here within the Los Angeles region. And we're welcoming you uh, to share a little bit kind of like what your perspectives and reflections are or, or any reflections you had about the trip to South Africa. And also we'll delve into a little bit about not only kind of, not only the perspective, but the emotions of what it was like to be in a foreign country and having or being a part of a transatlantic trip to connect with our brothers and sisters um, across the ocean. So let's start with let's start <laughs> with you introducing yourself, sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, hello everyone, um, I'm Tanisha Saunders. A little bit about myself, I was born and raised in um, Los Angeles, Compton, California, and um, I currently work as a live-in resident coordinator in a transitional housing program for transitional age youth who are exiting out of homelessness. And a little bit um, about myself is I am a former foster youth. I am someone who experienced homelessness as a part of my um, growing up and just everyday challenges and navigating systems. Um, I graduated from Cal State University, Dominguez Hills, Go Toros. Go Toros. <laughs> and um, through my various experiences, I am an activist and advocate um, I've had some great opportunities to be a part of policy making locally in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, through my activism and advocacy, I was fortunate enough to connect with Miss Janet Kelly and I'm so <laughs> grateful for that because this, this opportunity to do this cultural exchange um, and learning experience um, about the intersections between South LA and Southern Africa was just an experience um, that was very humbling and definitely life-changing. I, I can't say that I would have ever had this opportunity had it not been for Sanctuary of Hope and the generosity of um, Janet Kelly, the organization, and the uh, the donors who donated to our campaign to get us going. So I'm very excited to be here and to be sharing this experience. I'm still coming down from the whole experience. So mm -hmm. when I got here today, I was like, oh, let's get everybody back in the room. <laughs> um, just because there's a lot 
that still needs to be processed. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very happy to be here um, to process this with you all and to answer these questions mm -hmm. honestly or to engage in this conversation honestly because I really think it's important. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, unpacking that still needs to happen. So when I'm, I'm thinking back, uh, setting foot, you know, once we touch down in Johannesburg and we actually exited the plane and setting foot on the soil of Africa, what was that experience like? I know for me it was so euphoric. It was one of those like, I can't believe my foot is being planted on the soil in Africa. And it was a moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, and it seemed like a moment that lasted for eternity. <laughs> because it, it, you know, it was just so surreal. And so, um, what would you say was kind of, what was it like for you to exit the plane in Johannesburg and set your foot on soil in Africa. I'm gonna be honest, I think that was a 15 hour flight. So um, I think it, it didn't really hit me like that, mm -hmm. but listening to you describe it mm -hmm. as surreal, I would describe that as my whole entire experience. Uh, like I am attached to my phone. Uh, I'm probably gonna go to those self-help groups <laughs> later on in life about how my phone is just so attached mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. But on the trip, um, I made the conscious decision to not be on my phone. So I didn't really even get pictures because mm -hmm. I wanted to just be immersed in the situation. Mm -hmm. So when you say surreal, that is pretty much, that was pretty much my whole experience that it was just, I can't believe I'm here. I can't right. believe I'm taking this all in. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to me because the weather, it was, it felt like being in LA. I mean, mm -hmm. even though sometimes when we got to Zimbabwe, it was raining one second and then dry <laughs> and then it just overcast. But mm -hmm. um, it felt surreal because it felt like I was home. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that was specifically because of our leadership mm -hmm. and because of the connections we had and how everything was intentional. It felt like I was on a trip with my family going to another continent. And so as surreal as it was, it was, it, it was it was very calm at the same time. Right. It's it's it in, it's interesting because everyone on our trip talked about this being the homecoming, the return of 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 in a sense an an identity of knowing this is a place, a space, a continent, anywhere within the continent almost of where we had come from, mm -hmm. and the whole experience from Lorraine and Pastor Saul's family who put together this warm, welcoming dinner of a variety of people um, representing Johannesburg, those that are within faith, those that are within entertainment. And so although we were a guest of honor, it was just like coming home to the, the cookout, <laughs> you know, yeah. just a cookout here in the United States. And it just seemed everywhere we went, 
whether it was um, in Soweto, Clip Town, um, even when we fellowship with Jaira Ministries and Eliom Community Church, um, it was just such a welcoming atmosphere where you did not feel as if you were not you were out of place. It was as if we linked yeah. the jigsaw puzzle. And Johannesburg know? was definitely <laughs> black, so it yes. felt like like we were in South LA when we got off the plane. <laughs> right. Just the black people smiling, mm-hmm. you know, loving life, the fashion, the hairstyles. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a a great impact of a cultural exchange. Um, and, and even our, our living accommodations felt like home. Um, yes. Felt, felt you like know, home. waking up in the morning, having a, a breakfast, uh, a full array of a breakfast, sitting down, having an exchange about what happened during the day, or even just, um, or just having visitors come out, mm-hmm. uh, to, to welcome us. I thought that was I mean, it was really amazing. I mean, it's hard to put words on some of the things that that happened, but even walking out and being able to breathe fresh air. Yeah. (laughs) Fresh air. The excitement of being present. (laughs) A lot. Yeah. um, um, Being there. So let's talk about, let's kind of move through the trip a little. So the first stop that we went to was Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. And we were able to... um, visit Soweto and spend some time in Clip Town, right? Mm-hmm. So you said that it was not any different than being in parts of South LA. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about intersectionality, what would you say were the things that you found that was similar between um, South LA, Clip Town, and Soweto? Similar, hmm. I would definitely say church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we're not as lit as their churches are. Lit <laughs> means just super hype, live. Like, I, I can't remember a time that I've seen people just so excited about God and and dancing. Actually, mm-hmm. there's this one church in Compton that they get lit on Sundays, too. I was like, is this the club? <laughs> okay, okay. We clubbing for Jesus today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um the, the various levels of existence. So mm-hmm. we uh, got to see uh, levels of poverty, people living in, um, I forgot what they're called, uh, the, the different types of houses that they had. The shantytowns. The ch- shantytowns. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, we got to meet people who were lawyers, uh, very mm-hmm. established, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and live in different lives. And then we got to see people who were um, working class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think those various waves of blackness was something that we got to see mm-hmm. um, and much similar to Los Angeles, the different economic styles. Like there was a lot of uh, entrepreneurship, just a lot of different ways to make money. Um, mm-hmm. When we went to the Mandela house, you just saw how it was like a, informal yet formal market mm-hmm. um and so it reminded me of downtown la it reminded mm-hmm. me of the alley um mm-hmm. where you just had fashion you had um all these different things to shop for and we also saw similarities because we went to the malls that yes. was at first i was like we only going to the malls i felt like well, that's that was like our number one restaurant let's go to the food court we're like ah. Uh, we came to South Africa and 
we going to the food court? <laughs> but then you got to appreciate it because um, at the same time, um, the different food styles, uh, some of our bodies were just adjusting to. That was a big thing. And Coke had no sugar in it. Oh, it it was like the variations of soda was different. Like the local maybe, jewel. Maybe I was on a fructose high or I don't know what it is. It's in regular Coke or whatever it is. But Coke there was different. And even yeah. when you looked at the can, it would say less sugar, no sugar. Just a lot of the um, the content. Were very conscious. Very conscious of what they were eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt really the bad. The portion sizes. Was- different was the prices. That was mm-hmm. less expensive. Right. It's like, right. I can't get me three meals for the price of one in no way. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to circle back to when you talked about churches and worship, because I think one of the things when we talk about leadership and, and what we learn becomes really important in that aspect, because worship there was quite different. And, you know, here in the United States, I mean, there have been claims that those attending church, I mean, the the actual people attendance in church is is starting to decline, and it's and it's being visually kind of um, it's it's visual. I mean, everyone, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of churches are experiencing that, but other churches aren't. You know, depending on their their relevancy and and where they're located. But one of the things that was very um, uh, what what I thought was a point of the whole intersectionality was in looking at Christianity. Mm-hmm. Because even those of us who are, depending on how we identify, black, African-American, um, have a strong connections to, to our faith. And faith for a lot of us is Christianity. And oftentimes we have looked at Christianity as a religion that has been used, or as a religion that has been weaponized right? It's been weaponized in slavery. It's been weaponized to um, divest people of property. It's been a religion that's been used to um, as a form of imperialism and colonialism. But yet at the same time, when you look at it from a historical perspective here in the United States and also there in South Africa, you see how Culturally, you could take religion, bring it into something of your own, and put it back out into something that could be empowering or spirit-filled, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to take it and embrace it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I would say filled me because, you know, when you think about um, – I think I don't. I can't remember who it was that was talking uh, about the story of you know how Christian. Oh no, it was reading Trevor Noah's book, right? <laughs> so what Trevor Noah was talking about the variations of church, you know, mm. going to the white black church. the black church and then the white church, and and even knowing how what the white church in its in its sense of or in its connection to Christianity was still a part of apartheid was a mm-hmm. part of the colonization the the um uh also a part of you know stripping the resources from 
um, the folks there who were indigenous and original to the country. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think oftentimes, even now into this day, there's always this struggle around Christianity and faith and its role, right? Its role in either changing or correcting what was done in history, right? And then what and how do black people see the role of Christianity and the church now in advancing racial equity, in advancing or addressing um, racism as we know it now in the 21st century. And I see, well, I, I can speak from my personal mm -hmm. experience because I don't religiously go to church. Mm -hmm. I've actually uh, had conflicts between religion, faith, mm -hmm. and spirituality since I was um, younger. And I think that we might be seeing that trend mm -hmm. of there not being a lot of people going to churches because, you know, I don't want to put it all on millennials, mm -hmm. but I feel like we're in this age of confrontation. But I think that that's important for us to talk about, even for myself, who is a Christian. I am a Christian. And um, I just even know for myself how my own view of my faith has evolved over time. And I think even part of my, my personal growth and evolution in Christianity is really to understanding impacts on culture but also uh, understanding how Christianity and religion needs to be very revolutionary mm -hmm. and transformative. And transformative in the sense of righting past wrong and, and, and being change agents in the, the struggle for racial equity. So we'll move on and pass oh, talking okay. about... <laughs> Okay, talk about religion and skip, skip, boom. <laughs> religion, would you like to add something else to that? Um, I just, Before we I, was, I was just overjoyed to mm -hmm. see the churches that we went to, the participation, mm -hmm. and just how equally at both churches, how the energy was there, mm -hmm. how it was very community-based. Yes. And I think that that's the most important thing when you look at religion and churches is is it serving the community mm -hmm. is it really addressing the needs of the community mm -hmm. and from what i saw i thought that it was and just their light and excitement about being at church mm -hmm. was very infectious and yes. so you and know. the community dance at the end the community dance at the yeah, end yeah it was very fun. i think it was very fun it set it off but it and again it was a kind of another embracement yeah. into the culture um that was an experience of a lifetime. It definitely was. Yes, definitely an experience of a lifetime. So also a part of our Johannesburg, we got to meet with Dr. Maki Mandela, um, Mandela's oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. And so um, she shared a lot with us. I mean, it was a lot to take in, even about um, how we need to build ourselves economically, um, how and where we need to see ourselves in various, um, I don't want to use the word struggles, but how we need to see ourselves in 
various moments, right? Because a lot of times, even in history in itself, black women aren't often recognized for a lot of the contributions that we make in movements. And, and we're often relegated to the supportive role and not the actual leadership in which we've, we've taken, right? In either advancing civil rights or during the apartheid movement, even with um, Winnie Mandela, you know, her role in advancing or ending apartheid um, in South Africa. But there's so many women that are a part of movement that make significant change that um, we can't ever feel defeated, right? Mm -hmm. we, we can't ever feel defeated, but we also have always need to know that we need to tap within to that self-empowerment or that... Because that it's not going to be given to us. It's, it's not going to be given to it's us. It's still a part of the continuous exactly. fight. Exactly. Not that women weren't existing during all these uprisings, but mm -hmm. it's just like no matter what, the story is always going to be taken and construed and highlighted for the men. Mm -hmm. So it's it was very empowering and a, a strong reminder to not only know that our role has never been in one place. We've been we <laughs> black women and the struggle or women have always been in multiple right. levers levels on the front line in the middle and the back to the side 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 having everyone covered and it's just that our roles have never been they haven't been as highlighted. So it's just that reminder that that empowerment during times of trials and tribulations has to come from within because it's not something that's going to be given to you no matter how much work that you do. And so mm -hmm. kind of even hearing how, you know, she's even still related to as Nelson Mandela's daughter, though mm -hmm. she has her doctorate, she's a doctor mm -hmm. of anthropology. And the exactly. work that she continues to do to still have to um, not fight for her shine, but walk in her own light mm -hmm. and really take like that's a part of her life, but it's not her whole identity. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was very powerful to hear that. And I really got excited um, uh, from the moment we stepped into the Mandela house, just remembering the experiences um, of his children with Winnie Mandela right. and basically seeing how they were, their house was getting shot up, how they mm -hmm. lived in a, a prison to a certain extent, how mm -hmm. they were always being watched mm -hmm. and to continue to strive and fight for mm -hmm. freedom while you're basically, your family is being uh, treated and held down a certain way. Mm -hmm. So to hear about all the power of the women mm -hmm. just made me go back to even thinking about you and the work mm -hmm. that you do in South LA and the work that you do with your organization. Mm -hmm. You know, as a black woman, you're fighting and people wanna come to you for your opinions, but it's like, well, we're doing the work out here. I'm not just an opinion. What are you giving back? What is that cultural exchange? We are always expected to show up and show out, but mm -hmm. it's it's got to be a balance. Right. And so, because one of the things that I thought about at at Mand at the Mandela House was um, I had a flashback of when I did the Mississippi um, the Mississippi Solidarity Trip was which was uh, um, kind of a redo of the twenty first century in the twenty first century the freedom rides that happened oh. during the civil rights movement. 
And so um, when I was looking at the bullets that were there at Medellin's house, it made me think of when I actually went to Medgar Evers' house mm. and going to Medgar Evers' house and still seeing the blood stain that was there. How low his children's bed were. And how low his children's bed were. You mean the, the, the blood on his driveway and the concrete. How low his children's bed were, um, beds were, as well as, you know, some of the, where the bullets had act, the trajectory of the bullets had actually, where they had went. And even visiting um, Jackson State University, going to his office, right, where mm. he had the various offices, and even in one of the offices where folks believe that he may have worked out of, there were bullet holes there, too. So it's, it's you know, when you think the Jim Crow era or pre kind of civil rights era and the injustices that people in and at that time is when you think about South Africa, you know, it's it's a lot to live in terror. You know, I mean the the level of terror terror, racial terror, right? That you had to live through had to be so immense. So how can one and I'm thinking about myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have the mental capacity to live in that level of racial terror. I just don't. I and mean, for I myself, I don't think I would have how, the mental capacity. And I think, you know, looking back and revisiting history is so powerful because you look and see how people were able to do it despite their environment. Yes. And then you're able to look mm -hmm. back at where we are in Los Angeles United States of America and see how we have a certain sense of complacency mm -hmm. because it may not look exactly how it did, but I feel like the same, same if not similar, reign still continues. Mm -hmm. But because we've had slight advancements, it doesn't look or feel like that. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the nitty gritty and you look at the statistics and where we are as far as, you know, uh, being in prison, being murdered in the streets, in our communities, right. you know, being murdered by police officers. The terror is still there, but because it looks different, we think it feels a little mm -hmm. bit different. So we're saying we can't right. exist in those eras when we are to a certain right. extent. So we got to Cape Town, right? And we, we had the dinner. Um, we had the dinner with our Cape Town family. Um, one of the I think I was asleep a little bit for that one. Yeah, you fell asleep and they took pictures of you. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see the. No, I don't need to see those pictures. But remember, um, one of the dinner guests had a question about the Black Lives Matters movement, I right? And it was, it was, the question was, how are black people doing? Because they felt a sense of, um, I don't want to say a sense of sadness, but they, I mean, they felt a sense of needing to be connected to what that really meant. Because mm -hmm. at our table, we were, they were talking about, well, how do you feel about um, police killing black people? Because police don't, I mean, it's not like they were doing it there. Yeah. And then we, when we were talking around the dinner table, we were talking about how, um, what it's like to be black in America mm -hmm. and how it, and what it's like to be fearful of the police, especially when 
any potential interaction, regardless if you're good or if you're considered bad, criminal, non-criminal, uh, how you're viewed in any moment in time could mean potentially you could lose your life, right? Right. And so they were, we were talking about that. So the question was, well, how are you all doing? How are you all dealing with that? The level of concern is so was so real, and it it's was. just interesting to see what's picked up on. And I'm happy that that's a global understanding. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, I think even some African countries, or was it Caribbean, mm -hmm. there's like an alert out that you have right. to be careful coming to uh, America, United States, the United especially States, if you're engaging with law enforcement because of being engaged. So it's it's great that we have these conversations because right. it really is. It really is tough to navigate these. And I think the perspective is so different because when you're in communities where you are a majority, right? Because mm -hmm. we were in a country where black people or black hue of skin, your hue of skin, right, are a majority. Mm -hmm. we're when we get ready or when we're talking about our return to our country, we're coming back to a country where we are a minority. Mm -hmm. So our thinking and our outlook and our view of things are quite right. different. So you and can understand. it's quite different in Cape Town too because right. black people are a minority in Cape Town as well. Yes. It's colored people and white people who are mm -hmm. um, majority in Cape Town, but I think all over South Africa, mm -hmm. it's black people mm -hmm. are majority, right? Right. Okay. Right, because uh, so, I thought that there was right. a there was a shift there too in how things were speaking. I think especially when we're in Cape Town, that's when I heard more of a colored conversation and right. was able to see it. Right. So this was interesting because we were talking at our table because um, they were talking about because in Africa they had the variations the white, colored, and black. Mm -hmm. Right. Either you're white, colored, or black. And so one of the conversations centered around if you're colored you can't qualify for some of the programs that are out there to advance uh, for individuals who are considered black, right? Mm -hmm. So if there are things that we would consider here in the United States a, a firm of action, if you're colored, you're not black enough, mm -hmm. right? Or you're, you're colored, so you're not black enough to be considered black, but you're definitely not white to take advantage of all those privileges mm -hmm. of being white. And then, and when you think about it here, sometimes when, when, we, when we think that we're operating or when we're constantly operating in our duality, we know what we're black enough to do yeah. <laughs> yeah. or be able to achieve in our blackness. But we know what we're, when we're operating in our duality and we believe or we are trying to attempt to reach a level of whiteness mm -hmm. on a comfort Italy level, yeah. we know that we will never have that, or we don't have it, or we may not have it. And we didn't have in a form of privilege that if you were white, you would have. And a formalized privilege. A formalized so, privilege. So addressing the systemic mm -hmm. um, and institutional very levels of oppression is right. just like it's it's not on top because I think I, right. I overheard the presidency <laughs> well we've had a white president we've had black president now we need a colored president <laughs> and I'm like we need the best president that's going to represent the cause and sometimes it's those conversations that really mm -hmm. um take us back but I also think that those conversations 
need to happen and need to be addressed because you still see the levels of variation um, as far as the numbers who, I guess I didn't look at the numbers of the country, but just from what I was physically seeing, I didn't see a lot of impoverished colored people when mm -hmm. we went to Langa or because they, they live in different areas and sectors. Mm -hmm. So to a certain extent, I really, I, I can hear the, the conversations and uh, the, the need to have them, but I think we're still focused on um, the, the color and the, right. the race. So it's really, it's really difficult to have those conversations because I really don't know too much about the history. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, I'm about, you know, going to where the support is most needed right. and, and going into Langa, seeing the beautiful, um, the beautiful co communities, but also seeing the levels of how they were operating and mm -hmm. how, you know, it just it just wasn't supported or when looking at their um, their community center mm -hmm. that mysteriously, you know, the, uh, the drugs were mysteriously brought into their community mm -hmm. and then you got to see their community center, you know, just mm -hmm. taken apart. So you just see the different levels of racism that mm -hmm. still exists mm -hmm. um, and how they're still very much so cornered off in their different sanctions. Right. Um, Cause yeah, I was just like, y'all just black, everybody's just black to me. <laughs> oh, okay, there's mm -hmm. a difference. Right. Um, and you feel that difference. Cause we right. were looked at differently. differently. Like, oh, you're, Americans, oh, yes, do you like, have money? Are you an actor? There's something yeah. <laughs> right. Yuri, do you have money? And I was just like, wow, I didn't notice that mm -hmm. when we got to Cape Town, there mm -hmm. weren't as many black tourists. The right. black people we saw in Cape Town, um, there were a couple sprinkled, sprinkled here and there. Right. But then the other people who were like at the, the waterfront, mm -hmm. Fisherman's Wharf, they were working. They were mm -hmm. trying to get tips and different mm -hmm. things like that. So... Uh, it was pretty interesting to see the different dynamics and mm -hmm. how racially things broke down mm -hmm. or how the experiences may have changed. It still right. felt like black people were cornered off. Right. So there's this whole movement here, and I, I wanted to go back to your trip to Langa because I didn't get a chance to go because I got sick, but I got to hear a lot about what you all had um, experienced there. But, you know, there's this whole... Um, synergy and movement around co-ops and cooperative economics as a means to liberate, right? Mm -hmm. Liberate black people. And Langa was an example of a cooperative in which they were producing goods, selling the goods, and from the proceeds of that, it was reinvested back into the cooperative, right? Mm. So what was some of your kind of reflections on? Oh, that's a good question because I don't remember having the conversation mm -hmm. about the cooperative. I, I think um, we got to see Green Clean, or I don't even want to butcher the name of his, <laughs> his company, but we got to meet with a local entrepreneur who started his cleaning business. Um, and so we got to see how his business basically took root from an idea or starting small and then now he um, he provides you know job opportunities for people in his community mm -hmm. um, and then we also met with another uh, gentleman who was in tech he was in um, coding he, mm. he codes and then he goes into the community and teaches a coding class to the youth in the community and he was awarded a grant 
Um, so the co-op, that's a good question. I There was a lot going on. I'm not going to say we didn't talk about it ever. Um, but we, from what I took from it, was just them, their social entrepreneurship and, and innovation and taking mm-hmm. things that exist or or finding opportunities where they they aren't plentiful, but then also giving back to their community and it not mm-hmm. just being about making money, it's really being about elevating their community mm-hmm. and advocating for their community um, based on their different needs. So right. that's what I took from Langa. I wish Pastor Paul was here. I wish he was here too, but he's in South Africa right hey. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think- Yebo. <laughs> Yebo. <laughs> so I, I, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to hit home as a part of the leadership development trip and and especially visiting um, Lanka is, you know, being able to see um, opportunity where you might not see it. And looking at it through the cooperative lens of how can we create, right? How can we create economies? How can we create employment opportunities and have ongoing investments, right, mm-hmm. within our, our neighborhoods and our communities that don't really have to be so capitalistic in its structure because everyone is benefiting when you're in, in a co-op. And it's feeding a need. And like we also went to Jordan's, yeah, mm-hmm. and we got to hear how he, you know, created this, restaurant because he noticed there wasn't like dining options in Mm -hmm. his community so he's feeding their needs and also creating an environment that's welcoming and also putting on for the children like he Mm -hmm. does a lot of events for the children for families so it's not just based off of capitalism it's based off of an environment it's based off of loving Mm -hmm. and living life Mm -hmm. and not just being seen at you know we were talking about earlier taking ownership of your story and telling your story and here you have individuals who who created um who created businesses but also give back into their community um and i thought the food was delicious the environment was pretty great and it's it gives hope because you hear a lot of people in south Mm -hmm. la who you know say just get up out the hood don't come back don't look back and it's like these these aren't just hoods. These are communities. These are people. Mm-hmm. This is where you grew up, despite right. how you grew up, despite right. you know what traumas you've experienced. This is still life. These are still opportunities that need to exist because you know. I think of myself in a lot of ways. Like my story isn't unique. When I go back to my community, mm-hmm. this is a lot of variations of what I experienced is still happening. So how do we? go back to our community and empower members in our in our community to stay afloat to to continue having faith and continue living mm-hmm. life and so to see them you know have these ideas and live their life and put on for their community and it, it was really um, empowering and I'm grateful that we got that opportunity mm-hmm. to not just ride around and look from a car but to really right. get out and interact mm-hmm. um, because these are people and just how we're people in South LA were, we're more than just our stories and more than just, you know, what is it? Poverty pimping opportunities. Um, because there's so much beauty and variation Mm -hmm. in those communities and everyone has a story and 
Um, and just had, there was just such a, a love of life, you know, through mm -hmm. everyone you met. I can't remember a time, you know, of meeting somebody who wasn't smiling or meeting someone who didn't like us. Maybe they just kept it pushing. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed that. And I think that's a part of the peace that I'm experiencing right. now is, are we going to do something about it? If yeah. not, okay, well then we can't just complain. You know, right. here you are, you have people who you wouldn't have been able to think about that because I think sometimes we're in a box. Right. We but are. here you are like with the, the cleaning business. He said right. he was just cleaning out bins because he just looked and saw, you know, let me clean my neighbor's bin. And mm -hmm. then he looked up a couple of months later and people wanted that because mm -hmm. nobody wants to live in filth, you right. know? Right. So apartheid museum. The Apartheid Museum. So you guys had to drag me out of there because I was taking my time to take it all in. So when we got our tickets, right, either we had two separate entrances. So somebody, I mean, so either you got to enter from the whites only side. Mm -hmm. Or the non-whites. Or the non-whites. Which was... A deep reflection of what it would would have been like during that time. Mm -hmm. So walking through the museum and learning about legalized or racial legalized discrimination. What were some of your kind of aha moments? I say aha because there's a lot of things when I walked through there I did not no at all it was a pretty huge museum and <laughs> i i just was overwhelmed being there i think having us enter through separate entrances based on what we were assigned to on the cards was really a great grounding moment because you needed to remember what you were walking into you're walking into the past yet you are walking into someone's reality that people mm -hmm. had to live that and so i thought the mirrors were very profound because we had to walk down a corridor or a walkway and then there were mirrors of people and it was basically saying like you're walking in their shoes or mm -hmm. their different variations and so from that point on even though we were taking a trip through history i still took it as a as a sign of reality like this is a very real experience um it was it was it was a really big museum i would have liked more time but I don't even think there would be enough time to digest all oh, of that. Yeah. I think it's meant to be seen and, and a learning experience that's not just a one time. You have right. to continuously go back through it. I thought it was great to go back through the history and learn about the, the Zulu and learn about the indigenous people of the land that we were on, the land that we were on and have that context on the basically the gold rush experience that they had mm -hmm. um, because it really mirrored a lot of experiences in the United States and how mm -hmm. there's this this newfound um, understanding of wealth mm -hmm. that it's not that you all aren't civilized it's that you're sitting on something that we need mm -hmm. so how do we you know capitalize off of that and enslave you and exploit you and mm -hmm. so um and that was divest like a, you of your land yeah divest you of your land your identity um mm -hmm. separate you enslave you and take you from all that you know and then employ a strategy of rechanging or i wouldn't even say rechanging but a strategy of creating 
a history, right? Mm -hmm. Because here in the United States, it was, we took over the United States. It was manifest destiny. Mm -hmm. It was destined for um, the United States to, um, to conquer, take over land from um, the natives or the originals that were here mm -hmm. and move west, right? Mm -hmm. And so even there, there's this history, right? This history telling, mm -hmm. right? In which, you know, through colonial, I mean, through the colonial eyes mm -hmm. of, you know, Christianity, well, Christianity or faith, mm -hmm. of a needing to, um, as one person 45 said it, to, <laughs> to, Tame the land, right. right? But also introduce new systems. Introduce systems or introduce religion as a form of taking and stripping mm -hmm. away resources as and well. It, it's so insidious because you, <laughs> as you go through the museum, you still see how there's still this fight to reclaim the right. language, this fight to reclaim the history that was intentionally erased. Because right. it, because those who write the history, of course, get to be the the leaders, the ones who did what they mm -hmm. had to do, the one the mm -hmm. righteous ones. When you still have communities and people who are separated from their tribal understanding, like um, mm -hmm. I forget where we were, but someone was talking about. I think it was in Langa mm -hmm. how they talk about. Um, no, it might have been the Zimbabwe how our what was our driver our tour guide on the safari mm -hmm. was telling us about um the native people or was it the zulu they would send their young men off to the bush to learn how to become men mm -hmm. um but that doesn't happen as much anymore because people are going off to college or mm -hmm. he was like no that's not me that's not a part of who i am and then mm -hmm. you, you get to think and see how if those traditions don't continue on, mm -hmm. then who will write about them? Where where will that be present and, how, and what that does to the community? And how important for us to carry on those traditions or, or, or at a minimum make sure that they're documented yeah. so that it becomes a part of our ongoing storytelling of our history. So we're going to move on to a lighter note so that we can work towards closing and wrapping up this podcast. Oh, awesome. Our safari. <laughs> yes, safari. The safari. Yeah, which one? Well, let's We went on two. <laughs> we had the privilege of going well, on a actually, tour in South Africa. And the ones that came up to our room was that, are you considered Zimbabwe? No, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of our safari that we did where we weren't supposed to change the shape of, of so our vehicle. That was the one in Cape Town. Okay. Joe Berg. And then we had our safari that we did. Well, we did two safaris in Zimbabwe because we did the nighttime safari and we did the morning one. It was the nighttime one where we were on the river, the river safari. Oh, okay. So that was three. Mm -hmm. We did the river safari and then we did the regular <laughs> safari. Okay. Okay. So what are your thoughts about that? What, what, what we did learn was you should never change the shape of the vehicle. Because yes. you change the shape of the vehicle while you're looking at lions. It's not a good combination at all. 
still. That's what you're meant to, what it's meant for when you go on a safari, to be still, to look and take pictures casually, but not change the shape of the vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just realized how beautiful nature was. Like I really need to get more into Discovery mm -hmm. Channel. Um, because hearing them share the um, the natural habits of animals, it really made me reflect on how we can be animalistic or certain things that we've taken on to understand how we treat gender and how we treat people mm -hmm. and our ways of life, how we just understand that as nature. When some, most of the time it's really not just nature. Mm -hmm. And so to, to be out there and see the different types of animals and get a sneak peek into their life it was really awesome, and then right. almost getting attacked by a lion. I mean, I don't know how many people could say that they did that, and mm -hmm. just how chill the drivers were about it. I was like, um, I'm gonna need more panic. It was, <laughs> was this planned or not? Because right. y'all are just chill. But I thought it was just breathtaking and beautiful how much land there was. I'm not sure why, but I think, I think it has a great deal to do with media. I just assumed it was gonna be all dry mm -hmm. and just, desert-like but it mm -hmm. was very much so it felt tropical at a lot of points and right. was very lush and 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 very beautiful land um so i i really enjoyed the safari all three of them mm -hmm. um and i'm grateful we got to see different different versions like right. the water one the two of the lands mm -hmm. um just hearing about the history hearing about um the realities, I really was upset to hear about the poachers. Even though I've heard stories here and there, I think there's, I, you get I a different feeling when you go and look at an animal in their natural habitat and just think that people are killing them for fun. Stop poaching. Yeah. Stop poaching. How people are poaching yes. them for, for you know, remedies that aren't even real, that aren't even scientifically proven. Mm -hmm. So it was it was very heartbreaking to see that that these animals are being slaughtered. You want to know what I like too is sharing space with the natural environment. So yeah. we literally had to share space with hippos. We had to share space mm -hmm. with monkeys. We had to share space with pumbas, timons, all of them as we called them. But yeah, it's, it was it was okay. We recognize that we coexist mm -hmm. and we, and it's, you coexist in a township, you coexist where you live. And so um, that was, it became natural after a while. It did. Except the hippo that would not leave the door when I was knocking on my door to say, <laughs> can someone please open the door? Cause I was panicking. Yeah. But, but after a while you realize Oh, it's okay. You know, we're sharing this space together because even for us, we're encroaching on their habitat. And I think that was a, a, a highlight for me mm -hmm. as, as being there. Uh, the highlight came when we came from Victoria Falls and oh, yeah. we were think I was thinking about going to get some food at a cafe mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I'm so hungry. I want some French fries. Let's go to this cafe. And then I sat there and watched this man and his wife um, get mad and almost have a fight with this monkey that came and took their sugar because that's what they see. And I'm like, here we are encroaching upon their natural habitat. And then, you know, it just got me thinking back to, to gentrification 
back to the comparisons of South LA, not black people. <laughs> Dang, no, <laughs> no way. I didn't mean that. Just made me think about how mm -hmm. we have environments that people are naturally in, mm -hmm. and then here comes some outside source to come and say, hmm, I'm gonna decide to live here now because it's close to the airport. Uh, I'm sorry for historically throwing you and your people into this, you know, mm -hmm. unhealthy environment, but we want it back now. You have to leave. So mm -hmm. I think um, that paying attention to nature and seeing th how things naturally move is always going to be a great reminder of, you know, of life and mm -hmm. of having that appreciation for life, but also reflecting on how that impact really looks like. I'm definitely happy I didn't get my french fries because me and that monkey would have definitely been <laughs> squabbing. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I would have let him have those fries. He looks pretty strong. Um, but for me, and it really touched me like in a negative way mm -hmm. to hear how the people were describing the monkey and the anger that they had when it's like, you wanted this experience, here you are eating here and you're a part of a natural park, mm -hmm. so it's a part of their territory, they're hungry, mm -hmm. and here you have sugar and you think that you're just gonna be able to enjoy the opulence, and I like that kind of disturbance because it's, it snaps you back into reality. Right, it does. So, I mean, just in our conversations alone, I mean, we learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so much that you could pull from because we learned about gender equity. We learned about racial equity. We learned a lot about um, health equity, too. Mm -hmm. um, we learned about, uh, what was I going to say, climate change. Because mm -hmm. even, I believe, folks there were talking about how the climate was, you know, the summers were a little bit longer. Um, even some places where they expected to have more rain, rain hadn't come. Um, like at Victoria Falls, right. how that affected and, the water. And we also talked about propaganda, how even American propaganda ha changes or influences the economy there. The so, tourism. for example, their especially the tourism economy, because if someone says, well, there's no water at Victoria Falls, then people decide, oh, well, you know, I don't want to go tour Zimbabwe. Predominantly tourist functioning economy. Exactly. And they rely on that. So when you go there, like even before we went on our trip, right, one of the questions there and one of the um, articles that was sent I to sent us, that article. I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook that, globalization. That, that, that there was no, I mean, that there was no waters at the falls and that the falls were dry. But Partly true. It was. It depends on the timing of the season, the rainfall, um, and there hadn't been a lot of rainfall. So looking at specific angles, then you're gonna feel like there's not exactly. water, but it's not dry. It's not going dry. Right. So it's just always more to the story, and so it was very, very important that we had Pastor Sauls and his mm -hmm. connections to mm -hmm. go and ask, like, hey, go check out the water. Right. Y'all got even, water? And <laughs> even went to Victoria Falls United Methodist Church, mm -hmm. and we had our our exchange between our uh, young adult leaders. You know, one of the gentlemen there who's a journalist said, can you please be sure when you go back to the United States, let them know that there's water at Victoria Falls. Yeah. Because things that we may not think are important that we put into social media, we put in various news outlets, it has an impact on our brothers and sisters.
in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, and especially our brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe and South Africa, and we want to make sure that anything that's put out about them is correct and doesn't affect the economy because that's what they want and thrive on. Mm-hmm. So normally when we close our woke moments, we normally ask, you know, for you to share kind of like what was your woke moment, whether your woke moment is just simply one word or or your woke moment is a reflection or a thought or a question that you want to leave with the audience. So I'm going to ask you, mm. what is or what is your woke moment that you would like to leave um, with our audience? Intentionality. I came back from South Africa with... Um, with a strong sense of calm and and belief in myself. Uh, I wasn't super insecure before I left, but I was worried about work, worried about you know things not going right, worried about what people thought about me, but I think intentionality will be my woke word, woke moment, because you do things with good intentions, you do things understanding what your intentions are, and then you are accountable for what, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens or how it may look. And you remember what your intentions are, but you're always ready to um, take in Mm -hmm. what needs to be learned. So intentionality, intentionality, intentionality. (laughs) Well, all right, audience, thank you for joining us for Woke Moments. And please think about what Tanisha shared. Let's lead with intentionality. Thank you.